0: How did an obscure tradesman from flyover country become public enemy number one? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Jesus' rise to infamy didn't take long. It started in his hometown of Nazareth and would envelop the whole nation. Oh, his support grew too, but most of his followers turned out to be of the fair weather type, and that's putting it gently. Yesterday, we began this lesson on the statement in John's Gospel, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Here's Pastor Jim.
1: The other thing I want to talk about tonight for a moment, he came unto his own, his own town, and they received him not. Well, he also went to his own nation. This coming Sunday, we'll be studying from Luke chapter 2, so we won't go there tonight. But Jesus at age 12 is standing in the temple, you remember? And standing in the temple, he makes this statement, I must be about my father's things. Jesus understood as a 12-year-old boy that the temple was at the heart of all that God was doing on earth. It was at the heart. It was the heart and soul of God's redemptive program, the instrument God would use to teach people about Himself, about His holiness, about why He could not enter into intimate fellowship with men, about men's sin, about the need of sacrifice, about the need of offerings, about God doesn't need your offerings because He's poor. God needs your offerings because you're poor. You're very poor until you learn to celebrate the greatness of God and offerings and praise and thanksgiving. So you need to bring offerings not to impress God, but rather to express your own dependence upon Him. All those lessons were, were centered in and key to the, to the temple. And there Jesus at age 12 is at the temple. After He's baptized by John in the River Jordan, Jesus goes down to the Passover feast in John chapter 2. Turn there quickly. John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, we read very clearly. This is after the marriage, the wine, Cain of Galilee. John chapter 2. Look at verse 13. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple complex, he found people selling sheep, oxen, doves. He also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here, stop turning my Father's house into a marketplace. You know, that phrase, my Father's house, very distinctive. When Jesus talked to his disciples about the Father, he said, the Father, the Father. When they asked him how to pray, he said, well, pray my Father. That is, pray to the one who is my Father. Jesus used that phrase in very distinct ways. He was teaching a relationship that he knew he enjoyed with the Father, and he's laying claim that all that's going on in the temple and its environs are the Father's business, and he is responsible for the Father's business. So he cleans house. And, of course, that raises the question. The Jews replied to him, what sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? And he said, destroy this temple, this sanctuary. I'll raise it up in three days. The Jews said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build. You will raise it up in three days. The 46 years is the length of time the temple had been under expansion and renovation by Herod, who was seeking anything he could do to find favor with the Jewish people who hated him. Just absolutely hated him. So for 46 years, Herod's been expanding, increasing the size of the temple platform, increasing the size of the temple complex itself, beautifying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Jesus is saying, "Um, destroy this temple. Three days, I'll raise it up. And they say that's impossible. Verse 21, but he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the statement Jesus made. Now this is visit to the Passover number one, number one. Now here's where I'm going. If it weren't for John's gospel, if all we had was Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we could easily conclude, or relatively easily conclude. That Jesus only had one year of public ministry, just one. Because none of those three writers give us any chronological markers. John does. This is Passover number one, and what does he do? He cleanses the temple and pronounces his authority. What's his authority? His authority is in the one who is Lord of life. And in his body, he saw the fulfillment of all that the temple celebrated. Everything that the temple was about was embodied in Jesus the person. And he would, he would raise up that body, his body, in three days, just like he said. Well, that's, that's Passover number one. Turn over to, um, turn over to chapter, uh, let's see, is it, it's chapter five of John. Chapter five, you might wanna mark these. John chapter five, verse one, after this, a Jewish festival took place and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. There's a whole multitude of sick people who are lame and blind and paralyzed. They're there waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water the first one who got in after the water was stirred up, recovered from whatever ailment he had. One man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Note the next verse. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, how long had he been there? 38 years. How was Jesus at this time? If this is the Passover feast, and there's good reason for believing it is, then this is Passover number two, which means that Jesus would have been about 31 years old. So this guy has been lying there waiting on some help to get healed for 38 years. Jesus is 31 years old. Jesus had seen him there before. See, these pools were places where the Jewish people would go to bathe themselves ritualistically before they went into the temple for the festivities. That was the purpose. That's why they were there. They were also there to be sources of water to cleanse the various areas of the temple, and there was a lot of blood, a lot of mm, temple needed constant irrigation, you could say, because of the... The activities that went on there and the Jewish people and by the law were required to keep the temple and the precincts very, very clean. So there there was a need for this kind of water. And those pools which held the water, which collected the water, were also used as places for men and women to ceremonially cleanse themselves. That's undoubtedly why the man was there. He couldn't go to the temple, not just because he was physically ill, he was crippled, but also because he couldn't get cleansed, he couldn't get relieved for 38 years. Now my point is this, Jesus had walked by that man probably since he was 12 years old. I mean, every Passover, Jesus is up there at Jerusalem. Every Passover he's doing what every worshiper needs to do, and that's cleansing himself before he goes in. Jesus knew that he'd been there a long time. How did he know that? Not just because he's God, but Jesus recognized the guy. Jesus had been there before. Jesus is now 31 years old. He knows this man, knows why he's there, asks the question, and then heals him. Why did Jesus do it now? because Jesus wanted to make a point. And the point was, I'll heal you. Pick up your bed and walk. He picks up his bed, walks. It's the Sabbath day. Bingo, major controversy. Major disagreement with the teachers of the law there in there in Jerusalem. You can read the rest of the story you already have. You know exactly where it leads. Well, John also records, going up to the uh, celebration of the uh, Passover, look at chapter 6, verse 4. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where can we buy bread? And from that comes the feeding of the 5,000. It's Passover time. These are people that are on the journey from up in Galilee in the foreign areas. They're headed on their trek down to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. If the feast in chapter four, or chapter five, is a Passover, then this would be Passover number three. And what's connected to it? What's connected to it is the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus saw the need of the multitude fed them the next day, or they, they try to take him by force to make him king, uh, Jesus meets with them the next day and explains that the feeding of the 5,000 with fish and loaves was a sign not that he could meet their hunger, but that he could meet their faith. That was the point. said, so, why well, Moses gave us bread every day in the wilderness, gave our fathers bread, and Jesus said, Moses didn't give you that bread. My father gave you that bread. And I'm here, the gift of bread from the father. And if you don't eat me, drink my blood. You're going to die in your sins. And boy, were they offended at that. So much so that they all left Jesus. And even the 12. Jesus looked at the 12 and he says to them, Hey, you guys going to leave too? Verse 64, the sixth chapter of John. Simon Peter says, Lord, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. What does it mean to eat his flesh and drink his blood? It means to partake of it. it means to receive his life. It means to welcome in, into my heart as my Lord and Savior, and in that transaction, receive from him his very life, eternal life. It's transmitted through me, to me through the words that he speaks which expressed the deeds that he did. And as I received those words and believe them and receive them and embrace them, the life and blessing that he died, the blessings that he promised in his words become my experience, eternal life. That's what he's talking about. We have come to know and believe that you are the holy one of God. Jesus said, didn't I choose you 12? Yet one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas. Now, that's pretty blunt. But following the chronology of John's gospel, Jesus became that blunt with the twelve one year, one year before his death. This is the third Passover. Look over at chapter 12. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, and Martha was there, and that's where Mary anointed his feet with oil. The controversy broke out with Judas. Remember that? And that's where the Jews decided they would not only destroy Jesus, but they would kill Lazarus as well. Verse 12, that would be now... Chapter 12, verse one, that's six days before Passover. Verse 12 of chapter 12, the next day, this is the day after that supper, when a large crowd that had come to the festival, that's to the Passover festival, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus finds a young donkey and saddles it, just as it is written, fear no more, daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's coat. That was not incidental, accidental, that was intentional. Jesus was literally fulfilling the sign that the prophets of old had said would identify the king when he came. And he came accompanied by a great crowd, who were thrilled with what he had done, what they had seen, and who were praising him. What did he do when they got to Jerusalem? What was the first thing Jesus did at the end of the triumphal entry, as we call it? Well, first, he wept over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how off would I? But you would not. Remember that? And then he went into the temple and cleansed the temple. You'll find that in Matthew. And the minute he cleansed the temple, what did they ask? What authority do you have to do this? And he said, I'll answer your question if you answer mine. They said, gladly. So they said, I'll tell you by what authority I have to cleanse the temple, because this is my dad's house. If you tell me if the baptism of John was from heaven, or was it just a human institution? And of course, they couldn't answer that without absolutely compromising themselves. That's the fourth Passover. Now, here's why I bring that to you. If it weren't for John's structure, Passover one, two, three, four, if it weren't for that, we'd have no clear understanding of how Jesus' life was networked. And if you'll take that outline, you can see the progression John describes of the rejection of Jesus by the nation. In Luke chapter four, it was very clear that Jesus' hometown folks rejected him. In the Gospel of John, it's very clear that the leaders of the nation rejected him. Rejected him. And you can trace the process of that intense rejection through the Gospel of John. And if you keep those markers in mind, those four Passovers, assuming that the one in five, one is Passover, where the where the man at Bethesda is healed. If you make that assumption, there's good reason for assuming that, then we have reason to believe that Jesus' ministry took about three years, three and a half, that he was about 33 and a half years old or so when he died on the cross. I find that fascinating. And I find it especially fascinating to see how in that short period of time, that three and a half years using the Passovers as markers, because Passovers came every year, how in that three-and-a-half-year period of time, Jesus could go from an obscure carpenter, thirty years old, single, living in Nazareth, to the most despised Jew in all Israel. Rejected, and delivered over to the Gentiles to be crucified. It's amazing when you think about it. We have this information, so much information about how Jesus came into the world. Zacharias, and the angel and the announcement of Elizabeth's pregnancy and then the angel Gabriel coming back to Mary 6 months in you know and then and then the shepherds and then the Magi and then the and then the, and then that the, we have all this information of how he got here and then there's silence silence si- silence silence for a period of almost 30 years nothing and the Bible does give us two verses to tell us what was going on. He grew and he increased. Those are the two verses we have. But after his baptism by John, in three years, three and a half at the most, his ministry was so powerful, the evidences and signs were so convincing. but. But the truth was so conflicting because he would not let them get by with their shallow formalism, their traditionalism, their own, their own uh, elevation of their own traditions and teachings which compromised the revelation of God and the focus of God's purpose for the nation of Israel, and which also compromised their ability to recognize and to receive the king. Fascinating. The end of each of the Gospels has an elaborate part about how Jesus went out of the world. And if you measure the two, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find that basically for every chapter we have about how he came into the world, for every chapter for how he came in the world, you're going to have about four chapters for how he went out. Because that's why he came. And that's why he stopped reading Isaiah's prophecy. Middle of the sentence. And that's why the people of Nazareth were stunned. Heavenly Father, thank you for coming or sending, rather, the one into the world who was Son and Word from the beginning. Thank you for what he didn't do. Thank you for his sense of timing. He would say often, my hour is not here yet. My hour has not yet come. But just as he died, just as he arrived in the fullness of time, he died in the precise hour you planned. And just as he came at the precise time and died and rose and ascended right on schedule, we have great confidence that he will return right on schedule. Father, we can see the world being prepared for the rejection of the truth and following of a humanistic, arrogant, substitute Messiah. We can see how Satan and his hosts are setting up, preparing the mindset of people in every language, every culture, every part of the world to follow Satan's disciple. And we know that the time of his return is measured to the moment, measured to the day and the hour. And it's neat to see things happening in our world that show us that you're not passive, that you're very active, in directing all things according to your will.
0: His own received him not, but, John writes, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And that's what motivated John to write and Pastor Jim to preach. The story that began in a barn in Bethlehem can end with you and me in heavenly mansions. The sermon is entitled, His Own Received Him Not. You can get the whole talk on CD for a gift of $7 or more. I'll give you a few ways to do that in a second. If at any time during 2023, you've been comforted or challenged by this daily half hour we call Right Start, we'd appreciate hearing from you now. We're able to be on the air only because some listeners hear the Spirit's call to pray for us or to give, and then they respond in faith. As we get ready to start a new year, it would be great to know that you're arm-in-arm arm with us. Thanks. To join this family of believers and doers, please mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. The web address is rightstartradio.org. There you can play radio programs right from the site. You can play or download the entire sermons without the broadcast edits. And you can subscribe to the podcast so the shows come to you automatically. Click that on iTunes link, and you can click to donate to email us and much more at rightstartradio.org. Or call us at 1 800 984 2313. That's 800 984 2313. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. The miracle of the Incarnation is misunderstood by many. I think I'm on solid ground with that statement. So let's start to get a clearer vision of it on tomorrow's Right Start.